All right, we're doing the Brain Trust podcast, and I'm Adam Vass. I'm a tabletop game designer in Grand Rapids, Michigan. All right, I'm Willie Obst, tabletop game designer in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Forgot where I lived for a minute. Um, <laughs> Today on a call, I said I was based in Toronto. Based. Red pill. I'm, <laughs> I'm based with the sauce with Toronto. Uh, yeah, every week when we do the intro, it's a real quick... Where am I? Yeah. Okay, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm here. I All like I the, know is that I got the same microphone. The new intro really dives us into wastes no time. All right, All right. we're doing it. I really have to know where I'm from when I when I get doing that. It's kind of like you know we have played so many RPGs together that character creation is. Uh, simply exchanging a sentence back and forth <laughs> and we kind of know our entire deal which i like you know some games kind of try and thread the midground between coming in just totally blank and then you know discovering a character over a generative process of uh minutes or hours um life paths or finding feats and sometimes you just say all right and the way you said all right tells me everything i gotta know <laughs> yeah like there's so many there's matthew mcconaughey's character we all know it right just because mm-hmm. the way he says all right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right but someone all right. going all right that's different we know a lot about them too i got to the other day show seb a scene where matthew mcconaughey is in the car with woody harrelson in true detective saying that like the world is a vampire basically and i just like to remember that he is such murky depths down there still still waters running deep <laughs> he's an he's an anomalous being for sure Have so you is woody that yeah i mean they're they're both like that shows great because they are two types of guys like two elemental types of guys and it's like setting two Newton balls and the force has canceled out. Like, it's pretty beautiful. Today we're talking tabletop trends of 2022. Uh, we are future seers. We've got our crystal ball. We've got our shimmering leg. And we can see every trend that's coming up. I want to say that I have been reading On Writing by Stephen King. He's the author of the book Misery. <laughs> And uh, he is great, but I think 2022 is the year that we all kind of get into writing advice. Okay. So you know, you writing. A, did you have any advice that you read so far that sticks out to you? I'm not that far in the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Write misery. That's First great all, advice. Be writing misery. Um, it could go a lot worse. If you were being writing misery, uh, he, I just he has this story of um, he begins the book by talking about these, uh, you know, six or seven vignettes from his life and childhood that made him into a writer. And one of them was getting a pretty uh, horrific ear surgery at the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. You know, hearing Stephen King write about his own life is is very nice. It's very nice to see those words. But yeah, I think uh, this year, 
I don't know. I think the quality of writing, you know, we have brought um, the visuals of tabletop to its, you know, theoretical limits, right? <laughs> uh, and now we are just kind of settling into having our books all be extremely gorgeous. And I think next up is making the language gorgeous. Interesting. Uh, do you think that's using bigger words? <laughs> In my case, buddy? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think it's... Uh, right. I, I think there was a kind of gigantic wave with being interested in the uh in prose with lyric games and contrasting that with the spartan uh language of osr uh on the whole right it's it's very procedural and gets out of the way i think that uh we will see kind of like i said those are the theoretical limits and we're going to f- aim somewhere in the middle and kind of get, you know, really usable games text, but also just, you know, beautiful language to include in a game. That could be a pick list. I mean, we see that a lot. It could just be having interludes in your book. Um, I very truly would like to see some of those White Wolf intros come back. You know what I'm talking about? No, I never read one of them. White Wolf books basically begin with a full spread of in-narrative fiction that gets you hyped up and psyched for the rest of the game. That's cool. I've, I've been toying with that in Cyber Metal, kind of wanting to switch back and forth between like objective history to tell you, the players, but also like a subjective experience that the people in the city might have like a different perspective of. Yeah. Like, you know how many RPG books have a timeline in the beginning, right? Like what if instead of a, you know, mathematical timeline, it was, you know, like how NK Jemison writes stuff, you know, like <laughs> if it was the beginning of the fifth season, for example, I think that that sort of, um, you know, very grabby, beautiful language does so much and can be things that actually sit at the game table. Damn, well, I thought this segment was going to be a bit, so... Next up? (laughs) The the D21. D21! Where's the side coming from? Is it it cocked? Are we using D20s? Are we (laughs) changing one number? (laughs) We all know D20, it's been around, it's tried and true. I think it's about time we move on to the D21. <laughs> okay, so here's my proposal for the D21. We've got 20 sides from 1 to 20. What if we added a 2 in front of that 1? But then there's... Oh, so it's a D20 plus 1? Yeah, it's a D20 plus 1 dice. But I do... I, I think the D21 must have... 21 distinct values i'm gonna real quick i'm gonna google uh 21 sided polygon a henicosagon 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 it just kind of looks like a circle oh this is 2d so sounds like a greek island polyhedron is 3d 
Oh, it, uh, it's it's cool looking. Oh no, I've. Can you um, send me a picture? Um, yeah, it is, it is the Pentacus icosidodecahedron. The Pentacus. <laughs> you ever see a serious man where he's like my mentaculum? Oh, okay, you just sent it to me. It looks like a piece of shit. It looks horrible. Eighty triangular faces. And 42 vertices. Uh, you don't understand. I like how it's illustrated so that, you know, one facing side would be a gleaming sun. And you could make the opposite side be like a uh, dark moon. It is really called Pentacus. Oh, you're just showing me dice gore at this point. <laughs> the exploded die. The exploded die. That's beautiful. Um... You know what? Let's explode some die in 2021. Let's really get to the kind of 2D realization of this. Um, yeah, why roll dice when you can have all the die face on a 2D plane and then just, like, stab it with a pencil? Okay, wait, this has me thinking. You So you sent me a picture of the exploded Pentacus. <laughs> um, sounds like a medical <laughs> procedure. Doctor. I have an exploded <laughs> Pentacus. But, Doctor, I am Pentacus. <laughs> um, so, it, it looks like a interesting, like, primrose crawl, uh, which uh, John Geary has worked on before. What if each face of this was a number, and through the game play, you have to walk through the potential results uh, using that result to achieve whatever action is down the line for you. So you know that, like, oh, I got a 21 coming up, but I got to muscle through a 3 and a 12 through these next actions. How do I contrive a situation where that works for me? Uh, that's interesting. I'm going to pull up a what a D20 looks like because it's a little... I do. I thought I thought my bit was, was funny, but... Um, <laughs> It, this is a more functional version of this theory because I do think the theory might be worth. Why did I pick the ugliest one to send you as an example? That looks, pre- that looks pretty cool. The the numbers are blue and white outlined in like an olive green background. It's actually hurts <laughs> to read. Um, oh, this one's not much better, but it does have uh graphics for some reason little flags and castles (laughs) why is it mario anyway when has mario rolled a die i was interested i was working on a hex crawl this week uh pentagram the necronautilus and cyber metal crossover that we played on plus one exp the other day very fun you can find the vod We, we had tons of fun thanks so much for tony for having us and spencer who was on as well um but before I made that, I was thinking of doing a triangle crawl, which is what led me to create, I'm claiming credit here, create the clock crawl, the hexes that have clocks within them that degrade as you do things within them. Um, but that initially was going to be triangles because there's smaller units, so you have less options of where to go, but it still feels more dynamic than an XY square grid. And seeing this, seeing the D20 with all of its triangle faces kind of spread out is making me want to do that again. Let's take a quick break. We're taking a quick break here on the Brain Trust. When you get back, we'll talk more about Primrose, a little hex dice crawl stuff. 
We're crawling along these little, little toy shapes. Okay, explode the face of a dice in your mind for me, listener. Take a d20. Uh, make an explosion sound as you explode out every face. So it's making one... It's making a single um, dimension, or two dimensions, uh, you know, kind of shape. All of them are connected. You're not crawling around those like you would a point crawl, but occasionally you are rolling a d20 and things are happening on those hexes. Yeah, it's interesting because there's all the different shapes of dice that you can do this on. Um, And that's interesting. So you're some of them are harder, I feel like, than others. Like the d10 almost makes a line to... uh, but yeah, the- D10 is kind of a squid game sort of <laughs> <laughs> journey. So what do we do on these spaces? Okay, let's make let's imagine a, a fantasy land where we have all of the D&D dice. So you've got a D20, D12, D10, D8. I might go all the way, D6. I'm almost there. And a D4. <laughs> and you, at the beginning of play play a world building game where you connect every face uh from the exploded one so you can just build this sort of uh bespoke fantasy land or whatever um out of it and then in play when a catastrophic event happens you roll every dice and then the landscape changes or when you're you know attempting abilities or doing whatever shit that you do in the game you have to roll your d20 to do something and you get these successes or failures that are uh, make sense within the event that you're doing, but also have a kind of world level change. And so it's mirroring like the you know passing of time and events happening while the game is still happening at the table. Yeah, I think this could be really cool. I think too tr- treating the space because there's this like false probability expectation right that you roll a d20 each one of them you would get one time (laughs) you know it yeah um that's not how reality works or randomization works so in using it as a world building tool like what if you just start with a d20 exploded face map that's all blank it's all beans it's all beans (laughs) <laughs> he chews oh, on so my chair th- for attention. That's toxic beans. <laughs> That's he, he a toxic tray. He he chews on all kinds of bad stuff. He one of his favorite things is cardboard boxes, and the Necronautilus reprint is expected to arrive at my house this weekend, um, which of course is like thirty cardboard boxes full of inventory, yeah. and I'm terrified. It is a going to be a beans, beans situation. Buffet. Beans buffet, beans bonanza. So, so yeah, you have a blank terrain, and every time you roll a given triangle, like maybe you develop in that triangle, 
you ca- or call it the passage of time or advancement or like of society or however you, you know, want to play it. You're digging into the history of that place or whatever. I'm thinking the opposite direction of going like, here's a place and we are building our society here. And mm-hmm. so when I roll a six, I'm going to put a house in six because that's the my number one priority is shelter. And then after we've put a couple houses in after now, now beans, now beans, it's going to be interesting. He did just lick and sniff the microphone. Uh, what happens on your end in the edit is going to be, I'm excited. Um, after you put a couple houses on this hex map, maybe you roll a six again and it's like, well, okay. My house either like does the house beans. This is enough, buddy. I, I know this isn't like a real job, but <laughs> daddy's working. I'm working, buddy. <laughs> um, I don't do this in your office. <laughs> I don't come to where you live and sniff. Um, You're just creating an additional level of like narrative focus in a place. Yeah. So it could even just be like a pure story thing of like, here's where your scenes take place. Like you, you just throw this, d20 overlay over a town map and then when you roll you're like okay we're doing another a scene in the bank we're doing some action in the church um and then when you roll that again especially with lower dice with less faces say the d8 or something um you would be hitting these more frequently so you could be like here are our eight scene locations and we're going to keep visiting them and tell our story. But the dice are randomizing like where action is taking place. Yeah. And you would be using dice at different frequencies based on what the game mechanics actually said. So like, let's say that D and D style, a D four is a dagger and you could be like, Oh, well we want to create a secret base that nobody will find. So no one here will carry a dagger and we will make our base on the one of a D4 dice. So like we are excluding numbers from ever being used. And then becomes a situation where you must roll a D4 or something like that. And then it's created this drama at the table because you have, you know, applied a level of safety to a dice that you otherwise would never have touched. I wonder if, are you also picturing that D20 that you had that you would carve faces off of? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're talking about the try again dice. That <laughs> is a D20 that every time you roll the lowest value, you carve the side out and then roll again. And uh, that one is currently a 2 to 20 dice. So we'll see. It's a D21. <laughs> it's a D21. Uh, so we'll see if I can get that down to just a 20. I Yeah, I like that. And I like almost that representation this meta representation of the die destruction with the either like narrative place destruction or this like meta narrative option destruction like the die being a reflection of the passage of time in this sort of meta textual way it's interesting i really dig it um, I wonder, I'm like trying to think of what I would do with it. Like what I feel like story what, is this appropriate for? What setting do you think it's kind of best suited for? I like the idea of it's like a mega city type of situation. 
Um, and, and you have the ability to like fortify certain areas. And so you say you make the six on a D six, like protected or something and just using these different results. So I just love the idea of imbuing, uh, what is otherwise just a, you know, meaningless cube. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, <laughs> dice makers. Uh, it's just a fucking cube. Um, you know, you can give that some power in some way. So I think a city is interesting. Uh, space station, sector map, things like that. It, it could be an interesting, like, dual game, too, in that you could have the world building be a standalone game where you're writing on this thing, and that is a, effectively a die stencil. And then oh, yeah. you cut out and assemble that, and it becomes its own die for a secondary part of the game. So, like, yeah. on the piece of paper, we have all the triangles of a D20, and instead of just, like, we're, we're exploring it, and we're developing and, and destroying aspects of this location that can be represented by, like, drawing on it. And then we cut out the thing at the end and we roll it. And that's cool too. Like, yeah. It serves just, a lot of functions. Just cool tech. Dimensions. Just some cool tech. <laughs> so, yeah, one of the 2020 trends is we're going to continue absolutely shredding shit like this. <laughs> uh, like it's no problem. Yeah. Um, my favorite trend is. Um, Adam and Will being exceptionally good at what they do. <laughs> and it does seem like we're continuing in that direction. They're no fault of our own. We're actively trying to step away in some ways from, like, you know, putting our energy in things that might not otherwise, you know, have a return, but can't simply cannot turn off the engine. <laughs> I cannot starve this engine. It's true. Every time I say I don't want to do this anymore, I don't want to be full time, I might just stop making them entirely. But what if we did this idea? That's really but, cool. Yeah. Whoa. That's just when you love what you do, you'll work some days of you'll your life. You'll work every day of your life. <laughs> um great. I I say we just bank that. Yep. I agree. Uh, another trend for 2020 deuce, um, games that people making games, games, playing <laughs> games, playing games is coming back in a big way. You've, in 2020. you've heard of designing games. <laughs> this is how inside this podcast is we're just saying like, I would like to play more games. I mean, it's true. I've played more games in this month than I think I did in the last six months of 2021. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I spend all day thinking about games and editing games and writing and laying out games. And then I just want to turn on my PlayStation and hang out with my friend Alyosha and Duke in Metro fucking Exodus. It's funny. Do you consider... I kind of feel like in my head I go, I need to get away from games. I'm going to go play PS5. <laughs> like, because I'm so entrenched in 
game tabletop game design and theorizing and the community and marketing and all of that that somehow video games feel like they exist as not a game because the word game has been co-opted <laughs> by yeah. my brain and by the industry as strictly a work thing and I like it like there's so much interesting stuff to the psychology and philosophy of what we do but when I go on Nintendo Switch and I go to fucking Mario Land or whatever like that is escape and that is not what games are to me Mario doesn't have to think so hard about this kind of stuff Mario has three moods whoop wahoo and wah do you know that uh, TikTok audio of Mario talking on the 3DS and the stylus comes up no do you know that one Mario's like you can use this I'm not gonna do the impression i'm gonna do kind of a chris pratt approach sure um hey mario uh <laughs> no it's mario saying like you know you can use the stylus to uh to tweak my face just like in the n64 version and the stylus comes up and i was like hello mario and the stylus has a face uh it's pretty good i'll send it to you um but yeah video games is definitely uh takes absolutely no cognitive load in any way to contribute to we played a stream on a stream game the other day uh which you can find at plus one exp on twitch.tv shout out to tony um i immediately went to sleep after that i (laughs) got under the covers i closed my eyes and i woke up an hour later and in the group chat, I was like, that was a blast, everybody, <laughs> like, right when I woke up. So um, it's a difference. You know, when I uh, kick on Chivalry 2, I just play other players thinking different things than I would be thinking, you know, playing a role-playing game, which is like, you know, how do I contribute? How do I uh, support my friends in this way? How do I, How do I myself make sure that I have a good time? And when I'm playing Chivalry 2, I can instead think, I am the worst player at this game in the world. I must be the world's worst player at this. And then I will find a different game to play. And that's kind of um that's kind of the success of video games is you can be confirmed. You can confirm a suspicion. A number can tell you how bad you are. I I'm looking at the leaderboard and it's not scrolling any more down. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, hey, tabletop games, give me the KD ratio on your sessions, okay? What's your KD ratio? I died yesterday in a game, so you love you love it. I love dying in a game. I, I I like when it's something happens when a GM begins to kill you in a game, when they now understand that like what they're okay <laughs> with it, and I'm okay with it, so. Let's die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had that hesitance while I was running it of being like, this is a one shot and we have, we're in a time frame too, like, because it's being played on stream that I'm like, do you want to pursue dying? Death? <laughs> <laughs> Are you interested in pursuing the cold, the ending of your mortal coil? Um, but it worked it out and it was two. fun. It takes two to shuffle. I also coil. remember just playtesting Necronautilus with you and you like trying to die <laughs> be- 
but how valuable that was because it changed how what how dying worked in the in the system because i think in a play test especially with your friends like a, a play test like that where it's just like let's just play the game and see what happens um it's not likely that anyone will die and i probably would have missed that it would have been a blind spot in my design and in Necronauts, rushing is so cool. Like, it is such a cool mechanic. Yeah, I really like how it emphasizes the themes that would have otherwise kind of only come up later in the game. Um, it's, a, it's a really interesting... I think even on a language level, you nailed it. Because it's not the death and dying rules, which typically communicate, like a pause it's basically shuffling in the settings menu of your video game trying to increase the controller sensitivity that's like kind of what death and dying feels like in trad games yeah and in necronautilus it's like you know it's there's particle effects and it's going full speed and you you have this con- enhanced control over your character and it's it's really interesting and um it reminds me of like in Torque, when things get sketchy on the road, which is like the tactical tactical grid um, element, you like really don't want to die. And so when you are reduced to zero HP, so you're out of crashes and health, HP standing for horsepower, um, you can push it and you get back up and you can go even harder. But if you die after you push it. So the game wants you to run out of health and to press a nitrous button and to kick ass. Um, because healing any other way requires other players to give up their turns and, and things like this. Um, so having like, you know, nice stick shifty dying rules is a, uh, is really interesting and I think can really make compelling play. Yeah, I dig that. I think, that's an interesting point to make in a wider way too, of just like because of role-playing games as derivative of war games, we often think of dying as losing that. And like video games generally teach us as dying is losing. It's really cool for role-playing games to consider the narrative impact of dying or not necessarily dying, but again, like zero HP or what that looks like and how it can emphasize the themes of your setting, how, how it can give that player, you don't like the number one thing that I learned from what it used to be to what it is now in Necronautilus is it's not a punishment like, and you don't want it to feel like a punishment, but obviously there is some, I wouldn't call it a deterrent, but there's like there are negative aspects to it because obviously the goal is not to get to zero HP. But interesting changes happen. I guess that's the important thing. Yeah, it's like it has weight to it as opposed to the implied weight of dying in a trad game where you if you die, you then have to spend two hours rebuilding your character. Right. Instead of like, you know, what can actually fuel the story. Instead of you tapping out, you are you have focus and you know it it creates moments at the table that are just really interesting so i guess our trend is a little less death and dying rules and a little more dying and death rules <laughs> yeah i think that's cool i think too thinking about like doing death saves in D or something there's almost i i've never played in a 
in a group where that was reflected in a narrative way. Yeah. It's, it's usually like in Gears of War when Marcus Phoenix is downed and you're like, uh, come help me up, Dom. It's like putting <laughs> coins in an arcade console where it's like you have 10 seconds before this line yeah, ends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that there is that little like rush of like, I'm so close to losing my progress. But beyond that, there's no like, you know, demon and angel weighing your sins or something cool like yeah. that. I think that's a reason why I'm so excited to do the game over zine, which is just a collection of different game over screens to use when a player dies or there's a TPK or it's the end of the session or something like that, um, which I think will live in some form over the summer. So look out for that. Dope. Dope. Got any trends? Did you like my Marcus Phoenix impression? I don't know who that is. Oh, my God. Uh, he is a big human hamburger man. The hamburger helper hand? No, no. He's like a human muscle version of a beef burger. He's like an Angus man. Look at look up a picture of Marcus Phoenix right now. He's wearing a bandana. He's got. Is giant, he a real human? Uh, yes. Oh, he he's served a, no, he's in the not. Pendulum Wars. <laughs> yeah, he's a veteran of the Pendulum Wars. Oh, he's, he's just a rectangle. Gog. Nice. Yeah. That's kind of Yankee hat, no brim. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, you can't do that. Uh, It looks like he's in Fortnite. No, he's in Gears of War. I don't know. Which is by the same developer of Fortnite, Epic Games. Not not sure about that. Seems as if he's a Fortniter. Do you remember the gun with a chainsaw attached to the bottom? Yeah. Oh, I played, I think, like the tutorial level of Gears of War and no more. Gears of War is awesome. <laughs> My... sometimes, sometimes I am 15 years old. <laughs> and that shit is awesome. Uh, my neighbor still has Fortnite spray, paid on their, spray painted on their front porch. I did think it was... Uh, vandalism i thought it was that spray snow that it would just like come off but it is still there um (laughs) and i do think it was just spray paint um do you think it was vandalism or do you think this is a decal yeah i would call it decoration what's it um in games they call it a tag where you just hit up on the d-pad yeah yeah you hit up on the d-pad and just (laughs) classic put some anime shit on there um is there anything else about the house that makes you think, Did okay, have you played Fortnite before? Like, when it first came out, I'm actually okay. kind of intrigued about playing it now. Hit me up, I'll play it with you. Um, does the house look like it's been hastily built by a streamer who's 15 years old and is reaching 100 miles into the sky, made purely out of staircases and walls? It's vaguely, yes. It also has Merry Xmas spray-painted on the windows. Okay, that's so. That's alarm. That's more alarming than Fortnite because Fortnite is a celebration year round. <laughs> Christmas starts in November now. Fortnite. Fortnite keeps on starting earlier and earlier. <laughs> the fucking red cups. This war on Fortnite. Um. Okay. Do Do you see any? Kind of loot boxes inside that maybe you can get an upgraded shotgun. 
Um, I did just send you a picture of the guy from Gears of War dressed like Santa Claus. So, I yeah, that's pretty good. I did that's miss really good. I did miss what you were saying because of <laughs> yeah, that is Marcus Phoenix with a big white beard. I'm real distracted. I don't remember how we even what happened. <laughs> you just sent me a uh, Mad Dash Racing. Charles Martin Oh, have you ever seen that or heard that, rather? <laughs> no. I can't remember why. We were talking about Mario voice. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the guy who does the Mario voice, he voiced this... He curses. I have, I have heard this. Oh, ouch. Oh, they hurt. Ow, mama. Crapola. You know, there's, like, some contention in the voice actor community, like... Because often voice actors cannot inhabit the characters that they work as, right? Um, in t- TikToks or just you know in their in their daily life, and when asked, some voice actor I saw on TikTok was like, I think it was uh, the person who voices uh, Lady Dimitrescu in Resident Evil Village, who won for best voice acting at the Game Awards. She's awesome. I forget her name. Um, but but someone was like, well, why can, uh, the Mario guy do it? And she was like, well, cause he's Charles and I want to be somewhere where just the explanation for some of my behavior can just be like, that's Will. (laughs) Well, it's just Will. So BT con. Pasta fagioli. <laughs> That's one of them. <laughs> I remember this character from The Sopranos. <laughs> Charles Martinet, dragon racer character, was uh, killed on Tony's boat. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do we have another topic? What's another trend? Um, I feel like so something. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, we we are pioneering the trend of taking guns out of games. Yes, we are. Uh, that's something that... Uh, it's, a, it's a quiet movement among Adam and myself, where we are just saying that our games don't have guns in them. Yeah. You can just do that. Yeah, we actually... I think we did a whole episode on why guns aren't interesting. But, like... Yeah. And, obviously, we talked about a couple... Of, instances in which they are but on in general i don't know somebody now beans did just make a big slam and i have <laughs> i have noise cancelers on so the fact that i heard it means it was even louder than i perceived is he okay is he loading a gun out. right just now gonna... yeah <laughs> <laughs> you talking about guns oh uh the good news is he's just pulling stuffing out of a pillow Jesus, I am gonna, I am gonna have to uh, throw away yet another decorative pillow. And if my partner is listening to this, it's not one of yours. <laughs> it is an for older that, pillow. <laughs> for that, we can be thankful. Uh, no guns. Um, yeah, obviously there are games like Bullet that treat guns in an interesting, different way, and. I just don't have the patience or time, especially as a subsystem, right? Like in Torque or in Cyber Metal, the idea that 
guns would be an additional method of doing damage or doing things um, that would require separate rules distinct from all the other shit that we're doing. Like, I couldn't be bothered. Right. I think that, I mean, in Tark, I specifically say that this is not a gun nut game like post-apocalyptic games games can get right so it serves as like kind of a creative exercise as a player because every player has these uh three basic attacks that they can do where you can get someone in your tile you can get someone in another tile or you can get two people and you have to figure out a way to narratively describe how you're doing that that is not like i take out my frigging deagle and deagleize this guy <laughs> <laughs> um and that's not to say like so media with guns is really interesting for example i'm watching yellow jackets right now and just the relationship of the gun to these characters hunting is it and how these two characters develop a relationship around being the two people that can use the gun and and all this stuff yeah in, but, in cyber metal i use it as a one, as an excuse, again, to not write this mechanical subsystem, but two, to hammer home one of the themes of this game, that it is brutal, and that if you're going to be violent and and, and engage in violence, you have to do it face-to-face. Right. And that's metal. That's cool. Um, in a game that, in, that uh, embraces violence, I think... That's a more interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I, I there is this uh, quote about war fighting that I think about sometimes. Is someone talking about how? I hope this wasn't like fucking Donald Rumsfeld who said this, <laughs> uh, but you know it's one of these fucker generals um, that uh, fighting hand to hand is the most honest way to fight a war because you have a. Uh, you can see the person that you're fighting and it's kind of a metaphor that you like, you see the reasons that you're fighting and fighting, having a shooting war is less and less honest way because you see the shape of the person that you are fighting. And like you extrapolate that to like the understanding of conflict and fighting an air war with bombing is the uh, most depersonalized and least honest way to fight a war because you see the shape of the place where someone lives um, instead of, an actual person so it uh to extrapolate that into role-playing games you know be clear about why you're doing something and if uh, your game includes violence and it you want the violence to be meaningful in any way you can you should be interrogating every piece of your design because games don't exist in a vacuum perfectly formed you are a person making this so what is your relationship to violence and how does that expressed in your game does your game have a giant spread of guns what's up with that can we talk about that uh this is does it have a big spread of trolleys and carriages <laughs> this is a good trend just thinking about what you're doing just thinking about just think about what you're doing yeah i mean it's like we're not saying that no gun should exist in games it, because right. like i said uh, i'm i'm liable to deagleize someone 
<laughs> like freaking Deagle. Um, <laughs> making myself laugh. Um, but taking them for granted is kind of the video game problem. You know, it's like watching a movie that has a little bit too much gunplay in it, and it's not interesting. You know, it's not like, I think we've talked about this before, which is, it's not like the Jeremy Soliner approach to violence, yeah. like in Green Room or Blue Ruin, um, or the one where the guy fights the wolves. Um, Did he do that? The the wolves? The I, <laughs> I think the it was Alaskan- called Frozen. Uh yeah, who's the actor in that? Liam um, Neeson? No. Liam no, Neeson Wolves. Not. That's not Liam Neeson. The Grey. No, no. He did uh Hold the Dark. Uh which is great. You should watch it. Um it's Jeffrey Wright is in it. And he plays a uh guy who comes to a uh town in Alaska to help with a missing persons case and this guy uh, survived like a horrific wolf attack and wrote a book about it, which is why the person called him. Oh, I haven't seen this one, but I will watch it. It's, it looks like it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's cool. Um, Macon Blair yeah. wrote the screenplay. I like his stuff too. Who's all, He also is someone very mindful about violence, works with Saulnier all the time. Oh, cool. He, he's the bartender from Green Room. Um, oh, awesome. Wow, they're they're so good. And Alexander Skarsgård is in here, which is a house favorite over here. We love Alex Skarsgård. BT All Star, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but just like interrogating that, like sometimes you know the violence is extremely frivolous for a reason, and it's a blast, right? Yeah, it's like defamiliarized, like a borderline thing, like a Dearest Slattery's gun fucks, for example, or the kind of video game love letters that um spencer campbell does you know it's none of this like stepping into a vr game that's just about you know hardcore loading guns and shit or you know whatever it is i i just think that maybe seeing the table of the different firearms and having if you're gonna have a different die for each firearm you should uh have a larger interrogation of, you know, where your head's at and where your game's at and make it make sense for you and the work. Right. It does sort of demand attention that it's not always given. Yeah. So fucking slingshots. Just get a slingshot in there. Yeah. Uh, Cyber Metal just has ranged weapons and it was like slingshots, darts, like shit that you throw, whatever. Like I love that pool balls. I'm not gonna mechanize each of them separately. Just throw it. The uh, the kind of de-narrativized moves and torque are so that you can just pick up anything in the environment or in your situation and use it narratively. So it's this like heavy improv aspect is with that too. Yeah, I dig that. That's my preferred way of playing too, and like enacting violence because a system can't be expected to have you know rules and mechanics for like (laughs) unscrewing the bolt from your rim on your wheel while you're driving and then like flicking it like hawkeye into somebody's eyeball yeah or just picking up a 
crusty paperback from your book or from your car and just tossing it into the fucking muffler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's to me the most fun aspect of combat in a game is coming up with. I would go Gonzo. Generally, my preference here is Gonzo, but just like doing the most fun thing possible. It makes me think, too, when we played Heckheads last year and it culminated in like a wrestling match that was somehow involving like an atomic bomb that was we were fighting over right uh, in gamma world in the random item uh or the artifact discovery flow chart thing which is like if you haven't seen it it's one of the most beautiful pieces of game design i've ever seen anyway that thing is made to give you bombs like the only real result from that is just providing bombs so at some point you had a neutron bomb yeah and our solution we had people who wanted to do different things with it was to settle it in the ring (laughs) yeah of course (laughs) the socratic method <laughs> um and yeah needless to say this 30 year old 40 year old 40 year old game <laughs> didn't have mechanics for what we wanted to do so we freestyled it and we made it work and that was way more fun than if we did the procedural combat obfuscation with numbers and stuff yeah like here, here's an idea. Why doesn't your game that have guns describe all the guns narratively and not mechanically? Like, what is the difference? If you're, like, looking for the stopping power or something, that's one thing. But, like, I, I'd like to see more things with this kind of blended narrative element uh, that Gamma World's full of this kind of stuff, where to understand a mechanical effect, you have to live inside of the prose of how something exists. Yeah, I dig that. I think, too, it goes a long way to you can just say things without numbers, right? Like, um, using Y2K as an example, we talked about this maybe last week, just saying um, this villain is immune to hell power. It's like, all right, you go, you got to make sense of that. There's no number here. There's no, like, subsystem in which you can explore that. You just, like... It makes immediate sense. It is narrative focused with mechanical consequence, which I think is kind of the sweet spot for describing weapons in general and forces you to make considerations when you're engaging with it in the narrative that will accommodate a rule without necessarily making you like min max or otherwise kind of just do the calculus to solve this problem. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of hell energy, uh, during our game the other day, you said the word hellacious. Yeah. And I was thinking, are you familiar with the Star Wars character, Salacious Crumb? (laughs) No, but go on. Okay. Uh, While you're looking at Salacious Crumb works for Jabba the Hutt as a little Muppet Birdman freak in a cage. Can you include in Cyber Metal Hellacious Crumb? Yeah. This little freak guy? Little freak fucker? I had to add hellacious to my Google Docs dictionary this week because I've been using it so much. It's a great word. This thing is... <laughs> this little guy. I don't like... <laughs> yeah. The eyes? <laughs> um, no, the, like, toys or other interpretations of it. 
very soulless. Yeah, there there's something to the like It's one of the you m- know, most muppety characters in Star Wars. Yeah, Salacious Crumb has kind of a freak-eyed triangularity to him that is usually coiled and poised to like peck your eyes out. <laughs> um I'm I'm low on steam, I'm low on hell energy. Why don't we wrap this one up? Let's piece the fuck out. Oh, these toys look awful. <laughs> um, you just sent me some real Mickey D's <laughs> looking molded plastic. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Star Wars buddies. Um, so right now, we've been talking about it. Cyber Metal. You can go to pentagram.city and back Cyber Metal right now. Cyber Metal 2012. It is Adam's newest game. It is live on GameFound. And you need to get it. I hope that you do. I hope that you have, and that you will. Um, Pentagram.city is is the hub. Worldchamp.io for all my other stuff, and I'm at WC Game Co on Twitter. Um, I've been Willie Obst. You can find my stuff at uh, on Twitter at will underscore j o b s t Willie Obst. Um, you can find me on itch as well. Willie Obst at or dot itch.io and everything i do is on goodluckpress.co up there we got some new um bookmark games by seb pines um those are excellent uh, those were popping off uh so we we got them up on the store um torque is at the printer right now uh i know this because it's the future um and they will have accepted my files finally <laughs> uh but yeah where can people find you? I, I did mine. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, where can people find you? We did cover that. What's your PSN handle? <laughs> <laughs> what are we playing? Where are we dropping? Um, we should play Fortnite. I would. Yeah. Weekend. Let's do that. Do you want to? Yeah. Uh, great. So we're playing Fortnite. Um, all right. Brain emoji. Handshake emoji. <laughs> <laughs>